welcome everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us for this call and I'm excited to talk with Börge for once again and we will talk about some training and nutrition goodies uh, and just talk through some of our recent thoughts about uh, how to individualize training and nutrition. So um, first of all, Berge, thanks for joining today. Yeah, thank you. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. So um, maybe just let's start with um, how is your training and uh, nutrition going these days? Have you been experimenting with anything new uh, for yourself or was there anything that's been on your mind as of late? Um, well, um, uh, it's, it's still the same general framework and I actually did a video about this today because even within the VIP group, um, you know, connected to the SSD platform uh, and the program, um, like I, I try my best to convey the message that it's about having an overall framework and, and trying to hit like a moving target and being within a certain range, which is, which is a pretty wide range what you can uh, subject your muscle to and, and still make it grow. Um, but people are still concerned about, you know, switching an exercise and whether that will um, decrease the load that the muscle experiencing and, and um, you know, doing more versus less reps and total reps and sets and all that. And, and I, I still see the micromanaging thing going on. And, and um, I think the reason for that, I mean, um, having worked now for 20 years as a coach, it used to be way easier before when uh, I would have one-on-one -on -one dialogue with people and, and I would tell them what to do based on their indicators. So, so I would basically teach them how to trust their own body and their own progress. But now it's, it's just like with social media and, and, and research and, and experts and information freely available everywhere, people stop trusting their own intuition and, and, and their own bodies and, and search for answers out there all the time. And, and I think it's it's important to remind yourself that you, you can't really find the, the answer to what's good for you out there. Looking for that external validation is just distraction, it's just noise. I mean, it, it um, as long as you're operating within a certain set of principles you, and 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 seeing that you're moving forward, that you are enjoying yourself in the gym, you're continuously and regularly improving, then you are on the right path and you should just keep doing that. And there will be ups and downs, that's very normal, but chasing maximal and optimal just leads people into these, uh, these, these completely uh, mindless, uh, circle jerks and, and biting their own tails and, and arguments online. And, and again, I see with the best intentions from the, the researchers that are doing, you know, high versus low volume and, and various progression models and all that stuff um, and publishing those results and, and creating all of these online arguments. Um, I mean, discussing this to further the common knowledge and, and the platform of understanding is is a benefit it's it's positive but but i see it keeps making people forget that their own recovery cap capacities their own lifestyles their own genes their own hormones all of that stuff going on inside their own bodies and their own individual progress tends to get lost in all the noise and and the the constant search for for optimal again it's it's um just um I've been doing this for so many years myself, just looking for answers out there. And, and I've come full circle. I, I tend to come full circle over and over again and realize that 
you, you can't find the answer out there. You have that internal wisdom built in. It's it's there and it's always been there. And having that knowledge is a good thing, but it's still just a framework and, and you need to create points of reference for yourself. Try out different things. I mean, if you think that this this recent high volume thing is, is for you, try it out on a, on a muscle group or a, or a lift and um, see how it works for you. And perhaps you get some temporary great results and perhaps you don't, but at least you, you know more than if you just, you know, mentally and verbally masturbate online, discussing with various people with different opinions. Because everyone, including me, has bias. You know, we're biased towards the truth that we, um, that we have um, implemented or, or integrated based on our own experiences. So the, the, um, the challenge of being a coach is to not have people follow you by example, but follow you by principle, teaching them how to trust their own instincts and their own bodies. And, and uh, we plan to make this more visible in the SSD system, the self-sustainable system uh, program, that this is not uh, like the program or diet that will, you know, be... Um, the perfect program out there, but it's a, a set of principles that will guide you through a certain experience of training that will eventually allow you to become your own best coach. So, so learning learning how to trust your own wisdom and intuition uh, all over again, because let's face it, we were born with this. We were able to pick and choose what to eat when we were children, at least as long as we had access to to good good foods and, and not junk food, then we were able to... to um, to choose what to eat to grow into an adult and and so it's yeah again just getting back to that wisdom and, and silencing all that eternal chatter and noise going on inside their heads and online so um to just you know i, I know yeah. i've been rambling oh, for a while but it just it just bothers me to see this over and over again i get I keep getting tagged in these threads with Brad Schoenfeld and James Krieger and well he said this and he said that and this study showed this and this study showed that and I know what these studies are saying and, and still there's such a huge variability in what individual people are experiencing that you need to find out for yourself. If you think there's something to it then you know go ahead do 30 sets per week or 45 sets per week see if it works for you or do half that do uh, 15 or 20 sets per week and see if it works for you. And maybe it works, maybe it works for a while, maybe it stops working after three to four weeks, but then you will know. And so my own training, I, I do play around with higher volumes here and there. And, and, you know, I experience some more soreness. I see whether that led to slightly more results and, and better gains or not. Sometimes increasing volume allows you to tolerate more volume, but it doesn't really lead to anything but swelling. I even did, this was like a year ago or so, I did uh, German volume training, 10 sets of 10, three days per week or every other day for my bench press and got some nice chest size from that as long as I was doing it. But once I tapered and I increased the loads, uh, there was very little, if any, residual muscle mass from that because, again, I keep repeating it, your hormones and your genes will decide how big you can get and you can get some temporary increase in, in growth rate, but at a certain point, you need to figure out what you enjoy doing and what you can wake up in the morning and look forward to doing in the gym. Um, and, and that's, you know, basically getting back to enjoying the process and, and um, do, do what you love doing for 
a, in a sustainable way so that you can do it for months and years. And, and this, this eternal chase for, you know, becoming the next, the next Mr. Natty Olympia or whatever, it's, it's um, you know, it's, it might be for a few of you that have the recovery ca capacities and, and were training as your life and spending time in the gym because you have no life. <laughs> you know, sorry to be that abrasive, but but it gets to a point where you just stop, please stop, just get to the gym and, and figure out what you enjoy doing. That's that's the whole point of this. Yeah, and 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 what I want to add to that is I can I can fully sympathize with the people that are looking for the silver bullet because in many ways I'm also in that in that mindset everyone or not not just every once in a while like I am passionate about making the best progress that I can in a field that I'm passionate about like I am passionate about strength training and I'm enthusiastic about building the best body that I can so I'm also looking for the best possible protocol but I think what's really important to realize for everybody is that you will you will never find the best protocol because there's always a possibility you know there is the saying that the best training program is the one that you're not on mm. That is very true because, I mean, you could be making excellent progress on a, on, a, on a program and you could be super glad that you you found the magic bullet, but you will never be actually 100% sure and you can never be that that is really the best program that you can follow. Like, there's always a possibility that something else could work even better, and but you also, you never know that. Mm. So at some point, it's important to just, just not look for the magic bullet and just... Um, be satisfied that you can make progress. Like as they say, progress is progress. And, you know, like you can easily drive yourself crazy. Like you can look at uh, Mike Isretel, Berge, Menno Hanselmans, Eric, Brett Schoenfeld. Like these are all extremely intelligent people. And, you know, Mike Isretel says that you should progress your volume. And he has a compelling argument. Like logically speaking, it makes sense. Like volume is a is a key driver of growth. So why not progress that from week to week, just as the same way as you progress load, then you have Schoenfeld who says that you should periodize your program in terms of training blocks where you do different volumes. Then you have Berge who says that low progression is, is more important than you should just settle for a, a volume that is sustainable. And well, just, is, I just yeah. want to add that because I, I, I noticed that James Krieger commented on because someone tagged me in his post about his experiment with high volume on, on his upper body or whatever. And he showed that he had improved his uh, total load volume. So generally doing high volume, he was able to do more volume, which is not surprising. He didn't have any real measurements on actual muscle growth, which is a shame. But, you know, regarding their recent uh, collaborative study with Brad Schoenfeld, they had re strong reason to believe that this was a primary driver of muscle growth and whatnot. And he said he tended to doubt that load progression was a driver of hypertrophy. Uh, even though, you know, in my mind, or not in my mind, but we have research going back all the way to the 1950s showing that it is indeed a primary driver of muscle growth. And he himself noted that well, since he was increasing, um, you know, when he increased his, his volume, then at a certain point he needed to increase the load to stay within the 12 to 15 rep range, then that is a load progression as well. You know, it's just a different way of approaching it. So at, at some point, we all agree on probably 98% of everything. It's, it's the minor details that we now keep debating forgetting individual context. And, and that's w what it all boils down to. I mean, 98% of all these internet arguments could be uh, avoided if uh, we had, you know, more uh, more of a social life, uh, first of all, more, more healthier interests. Um, I, I think a lot of these debates online are just semantic discussions where we just lose perspective on 
well, you know, the general principles of stimulus adaptation are still the same, and we're applying those in some way or the other. And 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 again, at the end of the day or at the end of the life, uh, because let's face it, we're all gonna die someday. Not not to be macabre, but that's uh, that's the one thing we can all agree on for sure, one hundred percent. Are you going to get bigger than your hormones and genes allow you by doing 40, 30, 20, or 10 sets per week? I highly doubt it. Yeah. And, and at the same time, let's, let's address this question because, um, yeah, like, sure, as, as uh, I think this is something that some of the HIT guys like to say that all roads lead to Rome. Uh, so, yeah, eventually you will get to your genetic potential um, regardless, well, not regardless of what you do. Like maybe some protocols just le legitimately won't allow you to get there because they are just not enough stimulus or the wrong type of stimulus. But at the same time, um, how much faster progress do you think someone can eke out if they're optimizing everything? So um, I asked this question from a couple of people already. Um, but so let's say you could eke out a faster rate of progress if you did like, I don't know, 20 plus sets of, of, of work a week, as opposed to doing something like sub 10, maybe eight to 12 sets a week, something like I'm doing. Um, like how much faster do you think you could progress over the course of a year? So let's say your total potential for that year, if you did everything perfectly, would be five pounds of muscle. And um, so like what would be something like a more moderate amount of volume would, what would that allow you to achieve? Like half of that rate or 80% of that rate? Uh, what would be your guess? I, you know, there, there's, there are a few long-term studies uh, spanning six months plus uh, back many, many years ago. Uh, the recent few years of strength and hypertrophy research, probably due to cost, probably due to subject pool, many different factors involved here, but tend to, tend to uh, be only eight to 12 weeks. And this is where you can see that some have higher growth rates. But the long-term studies, there were even many long-term studies comparing one set two to three times per week to three sets and five sets, showing very little, if any, difference. So on an individual level, I think, again, it, it goes back to what can you tolerate and thrive on? And, and you should personally try, you know, I, I would lean more towards Mike Israel's mindset there, you know, Try to increase volume, see if that works for you. I would give a certain volume increase more time to, to work, you know, the, the same way I would approach getting a suntan. You know, I would try a, a higher duration of sunlight or intensity of sunlight for a certain period of time to see whether that would give me a sunburn or a suntan and adjust and monitor on the way. So again, being more mindful of the process and, and, and your individual uh, results instead of getting locked into the mindset that there's always going to be some perfect combination of sets and reps that's going to provide you success. So, and, and we have one of my favorite books uh, on, on strength training is Physiology of Strength by Hedinger. You can find a free PDF online. It's from the 60s. And they actually did studies on thousands of subjects over many, many years. And they showed that some people could have they would be high responders and they would see high growth rates in the short term, but eventually stagnate and run into issues with their connective tissue and joints. There are very few that can tolerate the high, the crazy high volumes and, and training loads over time. And again, this is where the current coaches will, well, we just introduce deloading and unloading and resting and whatever to recover. And then we can reapply that, that uh, loading again. But in my mind, there is nothing, I repeat, nothing showing 
that just picking a more moderate approach where you play around within a, a narrower range of loading and volume won't provide uh, or uh, you know won't, yeah won't provide the best long-term results versus going hard having to rest and recover for a certain period of time going hard you know it's 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 very similar to to the way some people approach their diet where they just go on these extreme diets with extreme calorie deficits where they are just suffering and they're losing some fat they might be losing some muscle a lot of them are they're slowing down their metabolism the body is compensating and adapting to to what it's uh, subjected to and then when they go off the diet they just go into this massive calor caloric surplus um, some of you guys might remember the ABCDE uh, approach that Bill Phillips popularized. It was based on this Torbjörn Ockerfeld guy that claimed that going through these periods of uh, feasting and fa famine would uh, be, uh, you know, a very evolutionary, uh, smart way of approaching the dieting process. And and there were like massive feedbacks from people that got no results whatsoever because the body doesn't thrive on extreme approaches. It, it doesn't, again, the sustainable self-development approach to me has been the most time-tested proven strategy to achieve success. Just going out there and grinding yourself into a pulp, if, if, you're, a, if you're a masochist, then, then for sure you can enjoy doing that because you enjoy pain. Some people enjoy that pain and, and feeling of accomplishment because they, are, they have endured something extreme. But don't try to tell me that this will provide the most long-term, um, the long-term permanent results. Because in my experience, from thousands of clients and 20 years and, and 30 years of training and 20 years of coaching, I have yet to see that. You know, I, I still haven't seen that producing better results. People come to me because they have tried that approach of going hard and then having to rest and recover or getting injured. And then going hard again and, and or program hopping, jumping from this to that approach. And then I come and, and sort of save them because I teach them the general framework and the principles that they should adopt. And then start enjoying the process, having fun uh, monitoring and adjusting according to their own progress. And in three months time, they have better progress than they had in, in the last three years of their extreme approaches. And to them, for some of them, it's a huge mindfuck because... You know, they spent three years thinking that punishing punishing themselves or or doing these extreme approaches would be the key to success. And and doing something that's so quote unquote easy. And that would lead to the best results. It's it's just a huge mindfuck because they have learned and being brainwashed into thinking that we should, you know, punish ourselves to get results. We should work hard, we should work long, we should, you know. Generally, nothing should come easy. It's, it's the way we've been we've been taught, and so when when this sort of just turns the world upside down when they realize that getting back to uh, you know playing around within a, a certain range is is the only way to to achieve long term uh, success. It's it's just a, not only a massive mindfuck, but also the most liberating thing you can experience in a lifetime. Yeah, and and I think, well, uh, just just that last point you mentioned, uh, it comes back to one of your favorite sayings: is that uh, you can't let psychological needs dictate physiological reality. And uh, yeah, for many people, that's I mean, they want to suffer because, like, in in a way, 
training is this therapeutic uh, outlet, basically, where they can punish themselves and with that kind of release the tension and just uh, kind of kind of um, drown all their frustrations and, and anger into something really painful, which is there is some value in doing that, but just realize that that's a very different proposition than trying to find what's going to lead to the best adaptation. Yeah, and I, also, um, I also want to add that um, <clears throat> some people also tend to think that there's going to be a perfect prescription that works forever. And they don't realize that every time you go to the gym, you apply a stressor that the body will adapt to. So your body has, by definition, changed the next time you go into the gym. So, so again, to repeat what I said earlier about you are trying to hit a moving target. So what the body will respond to will change over time as you change it. And I think that's also easy to forget and, and why it's so useless to, to look at these um, set and rep and loading uh, ranges as nothing but a guideline and a range. And, and it's all about getting back to that whole, you know, sensing your body, being aware of what does a productive workout feel like. Uh, I, I even discussed this as, as someone who um, didn't trust uh, following an ad libitum approach, meaning that they... Uh, we're supposed to eat according to hunger because this is the main principle in the SSD thing that, you know, given a certain um, selection of foods and, and, um, and you know, covering all your bases, uh, I'm, I'm not going to go deep into that, but you can trust your body to tell you how much uh, nutrients it needs as long as you don't try to circumvent the, those brain circuits by eating highly palatable and, and uh, tasty foods that modern science and, and humans have designed. But eating eating foods in season in, uh, will provide the best nutrients and, and you know, as unprocessed as possible, listening to what your body actually needs and providing points of reference moving forward. So he felt that, well, since he wasn't tracking anything, he didn't trust that this would, would provide results. And he asked whether it was better for him to start counting calories and tracking because his previous experience had showed him that that led to, you know, fat loss and muscle growth or better results. And so I said, well, you grew into an adult just trusting your body. And, and you know, he looked pretty good before he even touched the weight. So, so obviously he had been doing something right. So uh, what he could do, because some of us are led astray by all of this information, and so we stop trusting our intuition in our body, or we forget what that intuition sounds like. So what I advised him to do was, well, you can go back to tracking for a while, weigh and measure and track your calories and your macros, your weight and your measurements. That's exactly what I do with my new clients. I, I go through a period of time from one to three months where we do that. But along the way, you should also be aware of your satiety, your energy levels, and how your body changes changes according to to um, the foods you are eating in the amounts you're eating, so that you can recalibrate your own intuition. And when you then stop tracking everything, you you have you know you have relearned what those bodily signals actually mean. And that's, you know, that's one way to approach it. And you can use the same mindset when it comes to training. So for me, I've stopped logging my training and, and having a prescribed training program. I have a general idea of what I want to do when I go to the gym. But other than that, I, I just, I'm way more intuitive about what, you know, what loads to use and how many reps to do and how many sets to do. And, and if one exercise doesn't feel right, I switch it out. And, and that's, you know, basically where I want people to, 
to arrive at the end because it's a way more enjoyable way of going to the gym and, and, and sitting by the kitchen table. Yeah, that, that last point that you mentioned, I think uh, I like to say that there is a time and a place for everything, just like in, in real life. Like there's a time and a place to like go out and party and binge drink and stay up late and try to get laid and that's your entire life. Like, yeah, when you're in your late teens, early 20s and whatever, you're just a stupid little guy. Like there's a time and a place for that. And when you're a bit older, a bit more wiser, uh, maybe that's not the best best time to do that. You should know a bit better. And like kind of the same thing with training and nutrition. Like I had my honeymoon phase with tracking and there was a time and a place where tracking everything that I ate and planning my nutrition all day long and logging things in my fitness pal and trying to make sure that everything worked out for the gram, that actually caused me pleasure. Like I enjoyed the process. It was not stressing me out. And if someone at that time told me that like, hey, you should stop doing that. This is obsessive and you should listen to your body. I would have been like, yeah, but but I want to, like, I like this. Mm. And I think that, that that's okay. And now if I had to do that, I would shoot myself. Like, <laughs> I am so glad that I don't need to track things. And yeah, like the same thing with training. Like, um, I think for many people at this point, like when they are earlier on in their, their training journey, it's, you know, it's fun for them. Like, okay, I can probably build up to like, you know, squatting with, with four plates or eight plates or I don't know, what does 200 kilos work out to? <laughs> but, you know, like it, it, it's fun for them. They look at their training log. Okay, last week I squatted 95 kilos. Can I squat 97 kilos this week? Mm. Um, but at some point, you know, like, you know that, okay, if you push yourself hard and you push your muscles close to exhaustion, you're going to cause a training adaptation and it's going to happen whether or not you put it in your spreadsheet and, and that's okay too. And there is a time and a place for that. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I really like what you said about, uh, you're trying to hit a moving target and, and, and just to hark back for a second on, on what you mentioned about James and his high volume experiment, like, you know, maybe James is one of those guys for whom that is, that is a good idea. Like maybe he's, um, really like a slow twitch endurance type of guy. He's a hard gainer. Maybe, I don't know. Um, but you know, he said in that post that he was doing like 15, 12 to 15 sets for most of his training career yeah. and he, he just didn't grow. And so he didn't, he's 44 years old. I think if I remember his post, well, um, at this point he feels like doing a, a training experiment with higher volumes is something he can afford, like exactly. good going, like, like, you know, more, more power to him. And if it worked, that's, that's great. And the same way as like, if you're. Like I found earlier in like I was only training for like one or two years when I found that the Martin Burkan, you know, three sets reverse pyramid training once a week per muscle group was just not enough for me. Like I got stuck at like 82 kilos for six reps for months and months on end. And when I upped my training volume to maybe like six to eight sets per, per week, then I started to grow and I pretty quickly went up to benching you know close to four plates right. or two plates sorry um yeah and again that's yes. that's the you know brings us back to the whole point don't be afraid to experiment but also stop looking for validation out there what others are doing to guide you um look look to them for inspiration for sure and and, and for research for inspiration but <clears throat> you are your own best um uh, you are your own best uh, subject for experimentation. You are, after all, the one that's supposed to um, to make those gains within the framework you are operating. And, and um, don't, you know, for you, going from three sets once per week to three sets twice a week was an obvious increase, but it's not a dramatic. Well, yeah, it's it's a double, in, it's, a, it's, a, it's a doubling of frequency and volume. 
but it's still just three additional sets per week. So, so when I see Brad and, and James's uh, experiments and research leading people to go from maybe six to eight sets per week to thirty to forty sets per week, um, you know, I don't think that's quite as productive. Even James uh, scaled up his volume gradually and over time, and, and in in a sort of a Mike Israelish uh, fashion. And I think that's a good way to approach it and, and you know, go try it out for yourself. And, and again, going back to the investment theory, if you want to spend, you know, double or triple the amount of time and effort in the gym to achieve a higher rate of gains, you know, it might be worth it if you're not gaining anything now. But if you are gaining now and you're just generally unhappy with your progress, uh, which most people tend to be even if they are gaining, then... Um, you know, try a slight volume increase, but don't go crazy with it. Yeah. And and speaking of Mike Isratel, like um, he's, he's the guy who is often brought up as the perfect counterexample for anybody who is advocating a more moderate approach like yourself or even Eric Helms. And, you know, Mike Isratel, is, I, I talked about this earlier on the podcast, that Mike Isratel should be the perfect example for anybody um, as, as someone who understands that individual responses really do apply because he talks about volume and talks about volume being a key driver, possibly the key driver of hypertrophy and that some people will probably benefit from adding their volume up to like the high 20s, even like mid 30s. He's actually doing a very moderate amount of volume because uh, he just doesn't like he's probably a very fast switch guy. He's very strong and he he just doesn't tolerate doing a ton of volume like his pack work is like, I don't know, 10 or so sets per week. Mm. I think for his side delts, he's doing a bit more high high volume for his back. He's also doing pretty low volumes. So like he should be not just as, as an example, like people shouldn't just reference him as someone who is doing crazy high volumes, but also as someone who understands that, yes, volume, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, you need to find out what works for you. And for you, it might be a pretty low volume approach so yeah. uh just something and to again for short periods of time you can you can probably tolerate and thrive and get some gains by increasing your volume and perhaps enjoy some some faster rate of growth but it's not going to keep going forever it's going to taper off at some point and and you need to just be aware of uh, your response and and you know when you start to get the symptoms of you know losing motivation and getting various aches and pains and and, and, you know, stuff that just doesn't go away, then, you know, that's a, a sign that you should start tapering your volume again. And again, it, you know, this listening to your body, I know it's a cliche now, but but still people just get so stuck on find, finding that perfect formula that they keep forgetting that their own body is, is, you know, responding and adapting. And if it's not, then, you know, be reactive about it. Yeah. Um, awesome. Good talk. So uh, may I throw a couple of individualization related questions at sure. you? Yeah. So um, you did a really awesome video recently for the SSD uh, platform about individualizing your training based on your makeup. And we just had this conversation a few days ago, but I think it might be useful for people to to hear it. So I found that there is just a massive discrepancy between my predicted 1RM uh, when I do high rep work versus low rep work. So if I do like 10, 8 to 12 reps on like on my favorite chest press machine, for example, mm -hmm. my predicted 1RM is just so much higher than if I do like 20 reps. And with 20 reps, I found that A, uh, pro progression is very difficult for me. Like... Um, when I approach like, I don't know, 18, 19, 20 reps, 
it's just incredibly hard for me to add weight or even to add reps. Like I just stagnate around the same uh, performance for for weeks sometimes. Hmm. And and also like if I which was just to do a calculation of how my, my one RM would translate, then there is just a massive gap between the two. So. Like, what could this be an indication to? Could it be that my chest is a bit higher or faster twitch, like lower rep um, preferring muscle? Or could it be that maybe my work capacity just decreased because I'm more advanced? Or like, what, what could this be an indication of? Yeah, I mean, th there's some research looking at the, um, the number of reps you're able to do at 80% of your tested 1RM. So being able to, to do like more than six to eight reps means that you are slow twitch dominant and doing less than six, then you're probably fast twitch dominant. However, um, there could be many factors involved in this. It could be a safety aspect. It could be your brain protecting you from doing heavy loading, or it could be your brain protecting you from metabolic acidosis from doing high reps. So it could also be sort of this neuroendocrine tolerance uh, kind of thing where you, you generally, um, the, the body is reacting negatively by producing stress, a stress reaction to, to doing high reps versus low reps or vice versa. So regardless of, of the reason, I have generally found that spending more time at what you're good at will be the most productive uh, way to spend your time. So I, I, uh, I will initiate a coaching period by, by having people do this sort of testing. Not only looking at the number of reps they're able to do, to do at a certain percentage of 1RM, but also uh, looking at their, their work capacity. So uh, in my case, for instance, if I do a set of 10, a set number two, even after five minutes of rest, is six to seven reps. Whereas I have clients that are able to do 10 reps, 10 reps, 10 reps, 10 reps, and, and seemingly be able to do, go on forever, either because they're subconsciously saving themselves in every set and not really going to failure, or just because they have a crazy high work capacity. And and again, regardless of the reason for it, I my clear recommendation and where I see the highest correlation of individual gains is spanning 80% of the time doing what you are already good at. Now, I have seen uh, on DNA tests and various other tests that I am indeed um, one that would, genetically speaking, respond better to lower volumes and lower reps. And so that's what I tend to do. But also, I have a connective tissue that doesn't really tolerate a lot of heavy lifting. So when I get into three to five um, rep stuff, my brain starts to protest. So even if the tissue would respond better to it. My brain prevents me from actually uh, progressing uh, consistently, doing low reps and heavier loads for a long period of time. And also my connective tissue health being, you know, um, it tends to get inflamed more easily and I tend to get various aches and pains. So even though I will, you know, you should still do what you're not good at simply because that might be a weak point in your physiology. So if you have a, a lousy work capacity and you can generally only produce force at lower reps and heavier loads, it's still beneficial for you to do some occlusion training, high rep training, my rep training for at least, you know, 20% of a cycle, a training cycle. Uh, it could be intermittently or it could be at the beginning as a preparation for a training cycle, which again is why it's a part of such an important part of the SSD system to, to actually, I have people that have been doing, you know, five sets of five programs or, or powerlifting for months and years, and they're just, you know, 
really enjoying that higher face, even though they suck at it, <laughs> simply because that's, you know, it's, it's uh, strengthening a weak part of their physiology. So let those, um, those indicators tell you what you probably respond better to, but don't think that you should only be doing that. So, so for you, if, um, you know, if you have a lower work capacity and, and your estimated 1RM is way higher when you test 5 rep maxes versus 15 rep maxes, then you can quickly progress through the, you know, 20, 15, 10 rep phase and then start, you know, let's say you spend two weeks doing that to maybe three weeks and then you just, you know, just quickly increase the load so that you can get into the loading ranges that you respond better to. And, and um, spend that time wisely, meaning that you can even try some higher volume stuff simply because it's, uh, it's such a low, um, uh, low mechanical loading stimulus. So you can probably tolerate higher volumes, uh, both from the rep count, but also from adding additional sets. But then, you know, once you get into the low reps and, and the range that you should, physiology speaking, be, be um, enjoying the most progress, just milk the most out of that part of the training cycle. So, so yeah, just, just generally use that as an indicator where your weak points are and, and spend some time there, but, but focus on what you're already good at and what your physiology is showing you that, that, um, that, that you are good at. Yeah, and, and, and people... Like people don't realize how this mental inhibition uh, can play into things because, for example, just because, you know, I had um, had a shoulder injury. I talked about it not long ago on the podcast, which really kind of messed up my, my training for a long time. And it's just like, like just lives as such a traumatic thing in my mind that I, like maybe I could do bench press just fine and progress with that and I could bench heavy. But I, I just don't think I could I could get optimal development from the bench press because I think I could never exert myself nearly as hard as I otherwise could because there's just that massive mental inhibition right. component and the same thing with like the barbell military press. Um, yeah. So yeah, something to keep in mind and um, and also like uh, just just to <laughs> one one thing on the volume thing again. Like I think people can kind of intuitively find this for themselves when a given volume just feels pretty easy for them like like maybe that's an indication that you could do more because like when i do like 10 sets of work per week it's not like it's not like i'm feeling like i'm holding back intentionally like i'm pretty toasted after those 10 sets because mm -hmm. i think i'm just so good at exerting myself at, at, at a high level exactly. that yeah like uh, for someone like 15 sets could be actually easier than 10 sets is for me mm. so um yeah now another thing um we chatted about uh, privately is um, kind of training tempo and slow training. And this is something that I really want to explore in the upcoming time period. Because um, I was really surprised looking into this that there's really, there's really not um, like a, like in general, many people make fun of super slow and slow training and like, okay, you can slow down your eccentrics and stuff, but just don't get into some of the ridiculous super slow things. Mm. It is actually by no means clear, as far as I know from the literature, that super slow is ridiculous. Like there can be some practical downsides, but like, would you agree that there is like, we really don't know anything as far as how suboptimal really slow training tempos are compared to faster training tempos for, for muscle hypertrophy. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I've experimented with slower eccentrics and isometric holes at certain parts of the, of the range of motion uh, with great success. 
not only because you know there, there are major benefits and underappreciated benefits of isometric training and um, uh, there's a safety component as well where faster repetitions apply more loading to the connective tissue you know you get a higher impulse uh, stress to to the, the the joints and tendons as you reverse directions from the eccentric to the concentric and many of the studies comparing the slower tempos to the to um, the normal tempos didn't really equate load or time under tension so for instance they would apply the same sets and reps but given that <clears throat> a slower repetition um, performance would would provide less reps than you know again it, it doesn't if you apply um if, if you equalize for uh volume and effort like time under tension and effort then the difference between faster tempos and slower tempos tend to to even out and and i definitely think there's a time and a place for slower tempo lifting as well not only because there's a proprioception advantage where you learn more about the movement and you learn to feel your muscle more like that mind muscle elusive mind muscle connection um for performance i do agree that just focusing on external cues and and just moving you know just moving the implement or moving the weight like for CrossFit or, or Olympic lifting, um, then you should not slow down things or focus too much on what your muscles are doing. But for um, connective tissue health, for hypertrophy, and, and yes, also for strength, there is a definite uh, benefit to having periods of time or workouts or parts of a cycle or even a full training cycle doing slower eccentric and isometric stops on the way at the top, at the bottom, and, and whatnot, and, and just sort of looking at seeing what that will do to your progress. I have seen some surprising gains from doing that, where I, I saw some rapid gains in some exercises, simply because that was probably some some sort of under underworked uh, range of motion for me, or or uh, some sort of a neural brain learning uh, factor that that uh, I hadn't realized before. Yeah, and. Um... I, I'm actually going to chat with Dr. Doug McGuff um, next week, I believe. And uh, if like, well, I shouldn't even say that because I'm going to jinx it and it's going to fail again. <laughs> but um, like, I will try to actually address this point to him in a respectful way that like, I find this a little bit too accidental that all the super slow, like really low volume proponent guys are like consistently weighing like 20 kilos less than the non super slow guys. Like, and, and I'm not talking like genetics equalize them, whatever, like, mm. like, uh, myself like genetically i'm pretty much representing the middle of the curve type of guy like really average genetics and guys like me you know you say the same see the same thing like 80 kilos with abs at like meter 80 or so mm. and and that's what you see and super slow guys same thing but like 10 kilos lower so i find this a little bit too accidental but what we have to keep in mind is that they are training the super slow guys train like to absolute failure like sometimes beyond failure mm which probably uh, hampers their recovery uh, or increases their recovery demands quite a bit. Yes. So they can only train with exceptionally low volumes. And yeah, like if they did not just one set per week, but did like a couple of sets of these really slow um, sets, then maybe they could actually get the same growth as, you know, guys who do much more reps and much more explosive tempos. So it would be really interesting to see. And it could really, like, it's not fun for me personally to train like that, but... 
from an injury management and prevention standpoint, it could be an absolute game changer. Like uh, you would basically never have to get injured again because you, 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 you would never have to lift heavy weights at all and you could get all the hypertrophy benefits if that actually worked. So yeah, for, really for sure. And I mean, there's um, I, my joints feel tons better doing this. Uh, on certain exercises, for instance, remaining deadlifts for me would always tend to lead to some aches or pains or niggling uh, nerve pain or whatever. Uh, but just slowing down the reps and holding at the bottom, at, uh, the isometric at the bottom, it has been a tremendous improvement. And obviously the reps will drop simply because every rep takes the same amount of time as two to three normal reps. So I, I don't even count reps as much. I just focus on getting a, a certain um, feel uh, for that exercise and, and applying a progressive overload and Again, I'm improving by leaps and bounds on some exercises. But at, at some point, and even at the end of a set, I will start speeding up the reps to get in a few more reps. And, and that sort of takes care of all parts of the spectrum. And so I, I can wholeheartedly recommend this, especially as you get older and your connective tissue health uh, becomes a limiting factor. Yeah, I will probably soon will start experimenting with this, especially when I will feel like I'm really, I really milked out most of my genetic potential because... Right now, I'm feeling like I'm just making uh, really good strides, and I feel like this year I can still make some really good progress. Uh, but once I'm, I'm feeling like okay, and I'm really just trying to eke out the last bits of gains, that I will definitely try experimenting with this, um, because yeah, like it, it could be an absolute game changer from many. And, many and also, as you mentioned, not everyone can recover from that extra additional one or two reps at the end of the set. So, going to absolute complete failure where you can't even move the load. You know, some of the time for some people, for sure, try doing that, especially if you don't even know where your limits are. Some people can be very surprised to see that what they thought was their one rep in reserve point was actually five reps in reserve. <laughs> so some people can benefit from occasionally pushing to absolute complete failure on exercises where this is safe, of course. Uh, but we do know that that additional rep will prolong recovery. Uh, in some instances, as much as one to two days additional recovery. And and uh, we're talking neural recovery and even muscle damage where you need to recover that uh, muscle damage before the muscle is actually growing. So so um, if, if uh, pushing to absolute grinding failure will limit the total volume and frequency you can you can train at and enjoy, then I don't think that's that's worth it. Yeah, and, and have you also experimented with slowing down the concentrics or just uh, doing isometrics and slowing down the eccentrics? I don't consciously slow down the concentric as much. I, I still try to push at a certain, you know, intensity of effort. So, the, but, but I don't go with ballistic reps either where I just throw the, the weight. Um, and, and also from a safety aspect, I still want to just apply loads uh, in, in a certain way. So... I, I try different uh, rep speeds there, but um, I, I, I feel like slowing down the eccentric feels, you know, much better simply because it's um, uh, it's safer on the eccentric and, and holding at the bottom uh, to apply some isometric tension there and, and then just move generally what I feel like doing on, on the concentric. So I don't intentionally slow down the concentric now. Yeah. And I, I just feel like recently I'm getting more and more on board with some of the things that I used to ridicule before, like some of the really strong mind-muscle connection focused things, but and, and even like reliance on machines in many ways. Like 
I just, I just don't like. I know that it's much more badass to bang out really heavy bench reps, but at the same time, like if you find a machine that really suits your biomechanics, and you can really focus on like how your pecs are squeezing and really just the quality of the rep, um, I just don't really see how that's that's a negative compared to lying down on a bench and having to focus on like the perfect setup and just a whole whole set of things to actually make the the movement not injurious and not technically um basically suboptimal um so yeah i think just spend the lower loads um, part of the cycle the beginning of the cycle slowing down the reps and, and really getting that mind muscle connection building connective tissue health and, and preparing for heavier loads where you can then again start playing around with moving at faster speeds but but yeah for sure there's a benefit to moving slower and more control at heavy loads as well where the connective tissue strain is is much much higher so i think just again be you know experiment with it see try it out for yourself you you may improve you may improve uh, at a rapid rate awesome um okay cool so uh like wrapping up questions are you experimenting with anything new diet wise or kind of the same old for you same base for me but now that uh, it's winter time and, and fruits don't really taste as good anymore um i uh, i have more dairy products in my diet now than before i have also tried some higher protein simply because i wanted to eat more meat i didn't feel as well eating fattier cuts of meat and so, yeah, it just tends to auto-regulate itself. I'm, I'm more aware of what I, I need or want to eat. So I have some days where I may eat higher protein, lower fats, and then the next day, vice versa. You know, I, I, I would say even for me, I'm way more in tune with my body now than I was only a few months ago. And, and just constant practice of reminding myself that, that uh, uh, the way I think about things and the way I tend to search for information out there is distracting myself from listening to what my own body actually needs and responds best to. So, so I, I, I am improving myself uh, <laughs> on a day-to-day -day basis there as well. Yeah, just just a I, I can over question. I can overcomplicate and overanalyze with the best of them. So <laughs> you know, it's something I need to keep working on as well. I'm, I'm not just saying it uh, for others' benefit. It's uh, just as much a reminder to myself. Yeah, and when it comes to nutrition, I think it applies even more that you should go with. Um, I mean, you can really just take off a few boxes and, you know, if you're eating a nutrient-dense diet, enough protein, and your body composition is looking like you think it should, then you're doing as good as you're ever going to do. So yeah. uh, just, just a short question, like, feel free to just uh, cover this in, like, two sentences. You don't need to elaborate on it a ton because mm -hmm. we, like, had, like, a one-sentence exchange about this offline or online, just off air. Um, what do you think about the vertical diet? Uh, the vertical diet, uh, I think, will be awesome if you're using a lot of uh, anabolics and, and you have a crazy high insulin sensitivity. So I don't think it's uh, a very good approach for, for most people, for at least not for the long haul. It's not a sustainable way to, to eat. The, the way I understand it is that you're just supposed to eat crazy high protein, crazy high carbs, a ton of rice. Stay stay away from FODMAPs, you know, just fermentable carbohydrates, which I can obviously agree with for some people. But And if you're just doing crazy high volumes and training the way that this guy promoting it is doing, then, then for sure you're going to need all those carbs. But I don't think it's a good approach for most people. Yeah, I mean, basically, in case anybody doesn't know, it's a very, very low residue diet, essentially. Like, you're just eating 
things with very little fiber and very like basically you're just eliminating everything that could cause potential digestive issues so you're not eating a lot of veggies um and kind of it's just a little bit it's an over overly eloquently phrased way of saying that hey just eat rice and meat and uh, your gut will probably be fine but yeah. yeah like like you're like you're saying like um it will work for people who are eating a ton of calories and use super high training training volumes and yeah for many people it's it can work well as an elimination diet and but for many people it could also lead to like a lot of hunger i think yeah. uh, because of like high carbs low volume uh, high glycemic index for the most part yeah so, i mean the, what we know about uh, insulin management insulin and blood glucose management is is that Unless you can dispose of all of those carbs and you have crazy high carb uh, tolerance, then it, it will lead to inflammation and various issues with even with uh, nutrient uh, absorption. So I, I don't think it's you know it's it's not for everyone. I think it's for the very very few that have not only the training volume and the physiology, but also the the pharmaceutical assistance to to tolerate it. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, well. Birgit, I think I asked all of my questions for today. So, um, yeah, I want to thank you for taking the time. Uh, is there anything you want to mention for the end? Um, I, I think, um, you know, it's been a while since I, uh, since I was uh, on your podcast now and, and since we did Q&As for the Sustainable Self-Development Group. And that's because I've been working behind the scenes to make the SSD platform the best it can be and, and to add content uh, to the VIP uh, coaching forum. And I have also reopened my, my coaching, one-on-one um, -on -one coaching. And, and so I'll take in a select few clients and I know you also do. So there will be more information about that on the sustainableselfdevelopment.com page. Uh, there's already an option on my borgifargali.com page for contacting me, .no for the Norwegians. Um, but I have also spent this all this time to to reflect and, and ground myself to, to sort of a deeper understanding of what it takes to become the best you can be. And, and uh, I have learned a lot about myself and, and uh, about not only the training and, and nutrition process, but also um, about humans in general and, and the way we work and how we should work and, and what, what, you know, <laughs> what life should be all about. And, and uh, I can just say that even with all of the challenges I've had, um, I have begun to in enjoy my life much more than I ever have. And, and being part of this uh, sustainable self-development brand and, and developing that has um, has created a framework for me that has allowed me to to uh, to evolve this way. So I'm grateful to you for you know being the founder of this and and now uh, you know I'm grateful for being a part of it and and um, I think that and I hope that people listening to this will you know, eventually start to integrate the learnings and the philosophy that, that we are talking about. Because, you know, there, there's, um, we, we genuinely want to improve people's lives and to stop the overall analyzing and, and stop the constant chase for optimal and, and perfection. And just generally being dissatisfied with yourself. Too many, there's too much noise out there created to appeal to your sense of not being good enough. And, and 
it's my life's purpose to to put an end to that, to make people realize that you're already there, you're already good enough, and and it's about you know uh, relearning how to to uh, listen to your own internal wisdom. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I'm really humbled by what you just said, and uh, yeah, I mean, as you know, uh, for me, collaborating with you has been uh, like pretty much life changing in in many respects. So I'm really grateful for that opportunity that has been given to me and yeah i'm really excited for what's gonna come uh in the future out of this collab and yeah it's it's really cool that you opened up your coaching uh again so that people can look forward to that so uh you guys can see more information coming off off of this in the near future mm -hmm. and yeah um this has been a great talk and i'm really glad that we've been able to not just give information, practical, practically speaking, but also just a bit of a, a mindset check for people so that they can approach their training and nutrition, uh, not yeah, just I, with a mindset I hope, of... I uh, wasn't rambling too much. Uh, I, I t that there was some coherency in, in uh, what I wanted, the information I wanted to convey, but but I'm like, I feel like really inspired and, and really enthusiastic about this. And, and um, I, I, I hope it was a, a good reminder for, for people out there. Yeah, and it was all good ramble. So um, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think it was it was definitely ramble of the valuable kind. So yeah, guys, uh, hope hope you enjoyed this episode. And Berge, I want to thank you for your time today. Thank you for having me. And yeah, have a have a great rest of the week, everyone. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode and liked what you heard. And if you did, then I think you'd definitely love our SSD training and nutritional course that we recently put out with Burger Fuggerly. This program not only contains a 12-week phasic training program that you can use to time efficiently and safely build the best body you can, but also gives you four plus hours of video lectures about managing your nutrition and lifestyle to not only look good, but feel and perform optimally. So if this sounds interesting to you, then and go ahead and check out sustainableselfdevelopment.com. And of course, to not miss out on future episodes like this, subscribe to the podcast and you'll be up to date on everything we'll be putting out. So thank you for hanging around up until now and see you next time.